So you ever had a woe moment? You know those, those times when it's like, what just happened? But in a, in a positive way, when you're just amazed, you're in awe, your, your jaw is dropped, and you're just like, whoa. For me, I mean, I could spend the rest of our time sharing about them, but the first time I saw the mountains, if you've seen the mountains, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, I don't have any words. Um, I remember, I remember on my wedding day when those doors opened and my wife to be walked through, and I was just whoa. You know, it was it was it was incredible. I remember um, when I watched for the first time the movie The Passion of the Christ. If you've seen that, seeing that in the theater, and afterwards it was like a a, a pin could drop and you would hear it. It was just. It was incredible. It's like, he did that for me. Like, what? what? And then um, I remember distinctly watching um, a sermon by Louis Giglio called How Great Is Our God and just being amazed at the greatness and grandeur of our God. Um, this happens often in worship for me. Um, I was just worshiping in my car, driving down the road, and listen to a good Phil Wickham song called His Name is Jesus. We did it last week. We're going to actually do it right after this message today together. But during the bridge, it says there's, there's never been a love so great. He died so we could live. Then he rose up from that grave. Name another king like this. Now all authority forever belongs to him. He reigns in victory. Name another king like this. And I was just like, yeah, you can't name anyone else. No king like, like, I just, it's like, yeah, let's go, you know? This is, this is what Jesus does to us. But unfortunately, as we get older, woe moments tend to become more few and far between. And how tragic, especially when it comes to Jesus, who is more spectacular and beautiful and great than ever. I mean, he, he, he hasn't changed, Right? He's, he's always worthy of standing in awe of. And so we're doing this Christmas series, and we're calling his name is Jesus. And the whole goal is not to give you some lists of to-dos. It's actually the opposite of that. The whole goal of this Christmas series is that we would just look at Scripture and go, whoa, that's Jesus. As you, as you look at nativity sets and you look at manger scenes and you see the little child, you wouldn't just go, oh, that's cute. You would go, whoa. He's also the king of the universe. And he loves me. He weeps with me, as we just sang. That we would awaken awe of who he is. Maybe for the first time, or maybe refresh that for the millionth time. Charles Spurgeon said this. High thoughts of Christ will enable us to act consistently in our relationship with him. And A.W. Tozer said, worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. This, the whole goal here is that I would just give you a really high view of Jesus this Christmas season so that you would just go, whoa, and it would, would change the way that you live, the way that you think, the way that you act, that it would encourage your heart, that you would be amazed, and it would capture your heart with the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, 
Let's jump in. We're going to use the foretelling of Jesus' birth that was foretold 700 years before he was born in Isaiah 9-6 as our jumping off point. And so I just want to read this, and we're actually going to spend most of our time in Hebrews 4. So if you want to open up your Bible, you can just open there. But just, just listen to this verse, Isaiah 9-6. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there's our roadmap for the next few weeks. And today, we're talking about how Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor. Now, as you think of a counselor, there are two essential traits to making a counselor wonderful or at least halfway decent, okay? And you've never, if you've never been to counseling, that's fine. You'll get this because I'm sure you've gotten advice from people. Sometimes we get it when we don't even ask, right? Uh, but we've all gotten counsel of some, some sort of advice from other people, and there's two essential traits to make a, a counselor good. And the first is that they're wise. They have to impart some sort of wisdom. And the second is that they need to be empathetic. They need to sympathize. They need to understand where you're coming from. It reminds me of a time a few years ago, a guy that I met randomly in the community who had been a pastor for years was like, hey, you know, let me, uh, let me mentor you. You're a young guy. You could use that. I'm like, okay, let's sit down. You know, I'll meet. Um, I'll meet once. Let's, let's, and we can go from there. So we sit down. We met for an hour and a half. And I kid you not, an hour 28 of that was him talking. Okay, I, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. And so he shared some great wisdom with me. Like there was good things that I got from that, but lacked severely empathy. Like I didn't feel like he understood where I was coming from or what I was dealing with at all because he never got to hear about it, right? So needless to say, we didn't continue doing that. Um, but we've also, I've also had, on the other hand, and I know you've had this happen as well, where you sit down with a friend and you're like, I really need some advice. And they listen to you and they listen to you and they say, hey, I'll pray for you perhaps, but then they don't give you any advice. <laughs> and you're like, uh... Thanks, you know. Um, but a good counselor gives both wisdom and is a great listener. Gives great empathy, sympathy. A wonderful counselor, though, is both in just the right amount. And as great as a counselor or mentor or friend that you've had, you've never had one that's, that's wed both wisdom and empathy like Jesus. Because he is both perfectly and I want to show you this in Scripture. So if you look, if you turn now to Hebrews chapter 4, this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. And if you're on your phone, you can switch translations quick. We're in CSB. Hebrews 4. All right. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. 
What makes Jesus a wonderful counselor? He's wise. He's a wise counselor. And that speaks to his divinity. He is fully God. Verse 14 says he passed through the heavens. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He is God. He's not just the wisest person ever or the best counselor ever, though. Think of it. He is the author of all wisdom and knowledge itself. So think for a second in your mind of the wisest person that you've ever met. The wisest person you've ever met. Now think about this. Jesus is not only wiser than that person, he gave that person any amount of wisdom that they have. He is the author of wisdom. It's incredible. Verse 15, it says, though, that he is without sin. So there's nothing corrupting Jesus' thoughts, his motives, or his actions. All earthly counselors at times have corrupt thoughts, motives, and actions, even while they're counseling. But Jesus is not just another counselor who always knows what's wise. He's a counselor who always does what's right as well. And in verse 16... It says that Jesus can help us. He helps us because he is God. He has the ability to help us because he's the only wise God. Now, wisdom is not mere knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. So he, he doesn't simply know what's best. He has the ability to help us do what's best. And what gives, what gives Jesus the ability to help us? It's that he's without sin. Now, it talks about high priests here and him being the, the high priest. Now, the high priests in the Old Testament system were sinful men, were sinful people like you and I. And they were in the same predicament as everyone, unable to actually help people and unable to save them. But Jesus' divinity made him the only one qualified to reach down into the pit and pull us out because he was the only one who was sinless. Jesus is such a wonderful counselor because he actually can help us. Other counselors, mentors, friends might help you a little bit as Jesus enables them, but Jesus, because he is all wise, he is sinless, he is God, he can help us every single time perfectly. Now, what else makes Jesus a wonderful counselor? He's not just a wise counselor, fully God. He is an empathetic counselor. He's fully man. Verse 15 again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Sympathize here. This word in the original Greek means to share the experience of someone else. He feels the pain and the temptation that we feel like it's his very own. And as we just sang, he weeps with us. So many of you have or, or, or have had little kids. And even if, even if you haven't, you could get this. So sometimes my kids, they get, they get sick and they have a cough and when, the, when they cough, it's like they, they wince in pain every time they cough. You know that level of sickness? 
And whenever they do that, it, like, it makes me feel like I'm in pain, even though I'm not sick at all. You, some of you have been there. See, this, this is getting close. That's, that's the type of empathy that Jesus has for us, like a parent with a sick child, except it's much deeper than that. Now, there's, there's two main types of weaknesses that Jesus sympathizes with us. And the first is trials, hardship, suffering. Dane Ortland, the author of the book Gentle and Lowly, says this, When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our one shot of significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when the longtime friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us, when we feel deeply misunderstood, when we're laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us, embraces us, with us, solidarity. For me, a trial that, that I feel like I go through repeatedly, quite often is, and I, I know that we can all relate to this to some extent, is just feeling misunderstood. My, my, my passion can come across as, as very unloving. My legitimate concerns can come across as judgmental. My excitement can even come across as, oh, way too much. Tune it down, bud. And don't get me wrong, I'm responsible for how I come across to other people. And I own that, and I'm trying to grow in that. But I had a friend share with me recently, with tears in his eyes. He said, I, I feel for you. Because you're letting others steal your joy. That's a window into Jesus' heart. See, I, I love that statement, too, because it's wrong. It, it, it's, I really felt known and understood when he said that, but I also felt challenged because it's like, oh yeah, I'm letting other people steal my joy. What am I doing? My joy isn't dependent on others. It's, it, it comes from Christ. It can't be stolen. Quit, quit letting it be stolen. And, and it's like Jesus was just drawing me near when he said that. See, Jesus knows what it is like to feel misunderstood. I mean, most of his earthly ministry, he felt misunderstood, even by those closest to him, his disciples. They're like, hey, let's go start a riot. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. We're not doing that. This is a different type of battle. In so many different ways, he was misunderstood. He gets that. So maybe for you, whatever it is, whatever trial it is, maybe you feel really lonely. Maybe you're sitting in a room full of people today, but you feel really alone. Or maybe you just feel stuck in life. Like it's the same thing every day, every week. The same thing over and over and over. 
Or maybe you feel really wounded because others have hurt you over and over again. Or maybe you're grieving the loss of a friendship. Or maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Or maybe you're just dealing with a lot of worry and anxiety and you're, I don't know what's going to happen next and what's going to happen tomorrow and, and you're just caught in your head and it, it's just, your head's just spinning all the time and you just feel caught and you're anxious. Whatever it is, you have a friend, Jesus, who knows exactly what that feels like. And he sits close to you and he embraces you and he weeps with you in that. Jesus doesn't just understand our trials. He also understands our temptations. He was tempted in every way, it says. Now, this doesn't mean in every specific way. There are literally temptations that we face today in 2022 that did not exist when Jesus was alive. But it does mean that he was tempted in every type of way. Lust, pride, gossip, gluttony, the list could go on. Now you could hear this and it could initially sound discouraging to you. You'd be like, Jesus, you actually have no idea how tempting this sin is to me. Like you were perfect. You never gave in. I give in frequently. You don't get it, Jesus. I mean, we could, we could be tempted to think that, but C.S. Lewis, the author of his classic Mere Christianity, In that, he said this to help correct that thought. He said, A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Did you catch that? Jesus stood in the windstorm of temptation. And he never laid down and he never gave up. He experienced it to its full intensity. Jesus understands the temptation you're experiencing more than you even do because he's never given in. So it's not just you maybe with this particular sin struggle in your life. You, I'm sure at points, have had victory where you didn't give in to that and you stood through the windstorm and and you felt it and you felt it and you felt it until it stopped. But maybe the next time you gave in, Jesus every time stood there and took it. He gets the intensity of your temptation. But he understands it to a greater degree than you do. Because he's, he's taken it not just once, but every time. And he, that Jesus, is with you, strengthening you, helping you. Jesus really does understand our temptation unlike anyone else. Now, Jesus' empathy and humanity is on full display in verse 16 here. It says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. 
He's gracious. He's merciful. It says, therefore, in verse 16, because Jesus, and this therefore is there because of verse 15, because Jesus empathizes and sympathizes with us, we can boldly come to him for help whenever we want. And we can come boldly because he graciously enters into our pain and into our problems. And we can be confident that he is going to be there to help us. Jesus' empathy and humanity is shown in verse 16. And being fully God, sinless, he is a wise counselor. Therefore, he can help us. He knows how to counsel us. He knows how to help us. But being fully man, being an empathetic counselor, he, he doesn't just have the ability to help us. He does help us. He follows through. He walks us through it. Now, what does this actually look like? When it says that Jesus helps us, what does that mean? Are these just nice thoughts to help us get by? No. Jesus actually, actively, wisely counsels us. How? No surprise here. These are the ordinary gifts of grace he gives us. The help comes through three main gifts presence to us. His wise counsel comes to us through his word, the Bible. This is often underutilized, overlooked, underappreciated. We want God to speak to us audibly right now. Why aren't you speaking? And Oh, wait, <laughs> you have. We want God speaking to us like that, and someday that will happen. We will be in heaven. Mark my words, and, and if you've trusted in him, you will get to talk to him face to face and have that. But he hasn't left us out to dry. He gave us his word. We have his wise counsel right here. He's also given us the gift of empathy through prayer. Prayer is a gift. What a gift that we can talk to the almighty God of the universe whenever we want. And he invites us here, it says, boldly to talk to him. He's an incredible listener. He's a wise, empathetic counsel, and we get his wise, empathetic counsel of Jesus, thirdly, through the Holy Spirit who guides us, comforts us, convicts us, helps us along. Jesus truly is the wisest, most empathetic counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. So, before we close, I want you to see Jesus, the wonderful counselor, on display in real time in John chapter 8. So if you'll turn over with me to John 8, 1 through 11. Beautiful picture here of Jesus' empathy and Jesus' wise counsel. John 8. John 8, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. But then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, This woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked him this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. 
And Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. What wonderful counsel here. Verse 7. The one without any sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Wisdom, empathy, wed masterfully. Wisdom, because Jesus helps everyone there, especially the Pharisees, notice that as they're pointing at this woman, there's four fingers pointing back at them. He helped them get the log out of their own eye first to see that, oh yeah, I too am a sinner. He doesn't excuse this woman's sin. He simply just took the focus off of just her sin and put it on everyone's sin there. And and in doing so, he was drawing attention to himself and their need for a savior. But he shows such empathy here as well. He felt compassion for this woman who was doomed. She was caught. She was going to get stoned. He felt the sheer terror that she felt. He felt the condemnation, the embarrassment. But being just, he didn't, just, he didn't ignore her sin. He shone light on everyone's sin. And she didn't feel so alone in her sin and her weakness. And then Jesus, like only Jesus can, the wonderful counselor, the only sinless one left standing there with every right to stone her. Jesus literally could have stoned this woman to death and would have been justified to do so. But instead, he becomes her wonderful, not just counselor, but savior and gives her undeserved mercy and grace and gives her the wonderful counsel to go and sin no more. What wisdom, what empathy, what mercy. He really is the wonderful counselor, but wonderful counselor doesn't even do him justice. His name is Jesus. He's the light of the world. There's freedom in his name. He's awesome in power. He reigns forever. He's the light of the world. There is freedom in his name. I pray that you would find that Jesus really does get you more than you even get yourself. And he hears you. And he is speaking today. You don't have to wait. You can hear him today. And that when you hear your voice, you wouldn't harden your heart. That you would soften your heart to his beautiful words. And be moved by the Holy Spirit to live in freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for being who you are. We thank you for your wonderful counsel. We thank you that you are God. We praise you for being God, that you know what is right. You you are wise, but that you carry it out. 
in such a gracious, gentle way that we do not deserve. I pray, Father, that as we sing this next song, we would really know in our heads and our hearts that you are the Savior of the world. And that as we see nativity sets, as we drive around this week, that we would be amazed by you, Jesus. Awaken our hearts. Awaken our minds to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.